Coming up, two substantially different engines doing essentially the same job and yet delivering grossly different fuel economy. How the hell does that work? Let us deep dive into the beer garden physics of that next. I'm John Cadogan from autoexpert.com.au and I get new cars cheap for buyers here in Australia. Hit me up on the website for that. Now, here's a question concerning the king of mediocrity. Toyota. Now look, this report is going to offend you if you are a troopy aficionado. Fair warning. If you're the kind of troopy devotee who just wants to log into something and be outraged, then hey, you've come to exactly the right place. <laughs> yes. It's all based on a pretty good question, actually, from a dude named Dave. I'm comparing a Land Cruiser Troopy with a new Prado. The Troopy has a V8 with 151 kilowatts and 430 newton meters. The Prado has an inline four-cylinder with 150 kilowatts and 500 newton meters. Approximately the same power and torque. But the Troopy uses about 15 litres per 100 k's compared to the Prado at 10 litres per 100. Both ballpark real world figures, not the ADR fantasies. If they output about the same power, where is the big difference in fuel economy coming from? The weight of each car, aerodynamics, gearing, feeding four extra cylinders with extra engine internal friction. I get where Dave is coming from with all of this. Kind of makes sense. Output for output, you'd think the drinking problem would be more or less parallel. But we'll deep dive into that in just a second. And I know you are used to seeing me wielding the mighty 25mm twist drill with number two Morse tape at a drive the point home. But with this one, I thought I'd whip out the mighty king. Yes, the Leyland King Dick. An antique in its own right, just like one of these engines about which we will discuss. You know, 5 eighths Whitworth, 11 sixteenth British Standard up the big end. And then down the little end, half inch Whitworth, which would be 9 sixteenths British Standard, I think. Yes, there you go. But we'll be using the big end for this one. Okay, so let's go back to basics, okay? So we're all on the same page. And like, you don't get any more basic than what is an engine. Like, let us reanimate Isaac Friggin' Newton or, I don't know, Arthur C. Clarke or something and ask them this question, like, what is an engine? And the answer is, it's just a magic box, all right? It's a magic little box like that that things go in and other stuff comes out of, right? And it's magic in the context of Arthur C. Clarke, isn't it? Because it just con contains sufficiently advanced technology to do mad voodoo that hardly anybody understands. I mean, everyone uses engines. Hardly anyone can explain them. So it's really simple, okay? Mad voodoo inside the black boundary, two things going in air and fuel, and like, that's it, and then power comes out. Don't get in the comments and go, oh, it's power and torque, buddy, because it's not and torque, buddy. Not at all, okay? Torque is meaningless in isolation. What comes out of an engine is torque at speed, and torque together with speed is power. 
It's power that does the work. It's power that overcomes the resistances. It's power that makes your car accelerate. Nothing else comes out, okay? It's power. And there's one other thing that you get to do, and that is you get the demand control, right? You can control, by virtue of demand, what the output of the engine is, and you do that with the accelerator, obviously. So press down on the accelerator, engine goes, oh, yeah, you want a bit more, a bit more power, okay? And then you ease up, engine says, oh, you want a bit more less, a bit more less, a bit less power, right? And then, you know, foot completely off if you're moving, the engine goes, oh, well, I'll just take a break, and it cuts all the fuel and just sort of spins but does nothing. And then, of course, when you stopped and foot off the accelerator, it just idles. Tiny little amount of fuel gets delivered, and it just ticks over and waits for you to tell it to get going again. Let's just deep dive into power and energy and combustion and the mad voodoo going on in here inside the black box, just a little bit, okay? And let's assume that our magical black box is even more magical than it is in the real world, and it's 100% efficient, which means however much power we put in is the amount of power we're getting out, okay? Energy in, energy out. If they're the same, 100% efficiency. And that doesn't happen in the real world. It never happens, because there's a law of thermodynamics. There's two laws, actually, that say you can't win, and not only that, you can't even break even, dude. So this is a pretty idealised example, but it sort of shows you the process. If we put 2.2 grams of diesel into an engine that's 100% efficient every second, okay, 2.2 grams a second, and we burn it with enough air, all right, we're going to get 100 kilowatts out of that engine at the crankshaft because every gram of diesel contains 40 five kilojoules that you can extract by burning it, okay, per gram, 45 kilojoules per gram. And if you do that once a second, you're going to get 45 kilowatts because energy per second equals power. And kilojoules is energy and kilowatts is power. One kilojoule every second is one kilowatt, 45 kilojoules every second is 45 kilowatts. If you do that 2.2 times, you get 100 kilowatts, okay? So, that's the distinction between energy and power. Like energy is something you can store in a tank and power is something that exists when you're consuming energy in the time domain. The more energy you, can, you consume per second, the more power, okay? It's that simple, really. A really good diesel engine is going to be about 40% efficient, older ones less efficient, newer ones, much more efficient. Direct injection, turbocharging, things of that nature, variable geometry turbos, and all of this stuff has made a big difference to the efficiency of the process. So 40% is not unreasonable for a modern direct injected turbocharged diesel. And if you do this, as discussed earlier, your 100 kilowatts drops to 40 kilowatts at the crank, and you leave 60% of that energy behind, and basically most of that is being wasted as waste heat, either coming out of the engine block and associated components or being bled out of the radiator or just leaving via the exhaust. And you can't get any of that back. And in fact, the turbocharger in modern diesel engines is a great way of getting some of that back that would otherwise be lost and recouping some of that energy and driving the efficiency as high as 40%. And of course, 
energy at the crankshaft's not that useful. You've got to get it to the wheels to actually produce tractive effort and motive power, all right? And you're going to lose another 15% on the way through, mainly due to friction, okay? So your potential efficiency of 100 kilowatts coming out of this example is going to drop to 34 kilowatts at the wheel. And you might think, well, that's pretty shit. And it does sound pretty shit, you know, to be throwing away 66% of the energy that hypothetically could be used for motive power. But in the context of industrial processes like electrolysis and other combustion processes, furnaces and things of that nature, the manufacture of this and that, even things in in nature, like photosynthesis, and I'm just doing this from memory, okay, like photosynthesis is like three to five percent efficient and you're throwing away 95 to 97 percent of the available solar energy that hits the leaf, right, and only three to five percent is being used, so there's that. Most industrial processes are in this ballpark of 40 to 60 percent efficient, so it's only the EV evangelists who are really rubbishing the efficiency of internal combustion. And they're just doing that because, hey, they can and they want to believe and it's kind of a religion. But, you know, your modern diesel engine is actually pretty good. And now to drill right down into this hypothesis of Dave's about, you know, what are the factors and, you know, what is making the Troopy thirstier than the Prado despite similar outputs and similar vehicles, right? He's talking about weight and aeros and gearing and feeding, pumping losses, things like that, I assume he means by feeding it, and internal friction, which is also significant. So let's look at how these two vehicles break down when we look at the specs, all right? The capacity is an obvious difference, right? 2755 cc's versus 4461. So it's 2.8 litres versus about four and a half, okay? And then the bore and the stroke is actually quite similar, isn't it? You know, it's a little bit bigger per cylinder here in the Prado, but they're similar. They've got the same sort of proportionality. The stroke is slightly longer than the bore in both cases, all right? The power, very similar indeed, like line ball photo finish. <laughs> Need the video ref for that. And the torque's not that dissimilar either. The, the big surprise for me, of course, is that a four and a half litre engine is not actually matching a 2.8 litre four cylinder engine in this critical normal driving range. And this is about one seventh, isn't it, the difference? So it's about, what, 15, 16%, something like that, worth of difference in terms of power at these revs, in these normal driving revs. How quickly you can spin a shaft at a particular torque, that is power, right? And the Prado is absolutely beating the Troopy, despite the Troopy's greater capacity, through these normal driving revs. It's doing a much better job, so there's that. When you look at the specific power, which is like the amount of power per unit displacement of the engine, which is not something you should do when you, you know, you shouldn't compare a turbocharged engine and a non-turbo engine in this way because the volume is artificially enhanced by turbocharging. But both of these engines are in fact turbocharged and what we see from this here, right, is that the difference is 59% higher with the Prado, okay? So each litre, each cc, each unit volume of swept capacity in the Prado is doing almost 60% more work compared with the Troopy at peak power, okay? It's a huge difference, and it really does 
start to make you think, I suppose, that maybe the troop is a bit of a dinosaur here in engine terms, because if it was doing the same job per unit capacity, the power output would be more like 200 kilowatts, and we'd be looking at more like, I don't know, 650, 700 newton metres, something of that nature, and it would be a completely different beast to drive. All right. The ADR economy, just to confirm Dave's earlier hypothesis, about 50% being the difference, 7.9 versus 10.7 litres per 100, and it's actually a difference of 35% based on the lab tests, which are quite good for comparison. They're not that related to the absolute consumption over there in the real world, but they're pretty good at predicting the relative difference in, in consumption, all right? So what we're really looking at here is 35% difference, and I'm going to give Dave a pass on that because if we're just spitballing it and ballparking it here in the beer garden, then, yeah, they are in that ballpark of 50% higher for the troopy. So he's absolutely on the money on that. What I would say, though, is that weight is not a salient factor here, okay, because the troopy is actually slightly lighter than the Prado. So that should give it an edge on fuel economy, right? Because lighter weight is better. And it is a bit more of a box. And it's fair to say that Toyota hasn't spent all that much time on aerodynamic packaging for the Troopy, right? But by the same token, I mean, how much aerodynamic work do you reckon they've actually done on the Prado? We're talking about two ginormous boxes trying to punch a hole in the atmosphere at 100 k's an hour. Okay, so neither one is going to be particularly efficient. It's like saying, who was more evil, Adolf Hitler or Idi Amin? Gearing makes a massive difference to fuel economy on the highway. And let's face it, that's what both of these vehicles are designed for, right? Long distance highway cruising. You know, you get the family together and you say, right, we're about to go, all of you, off to the dunny, piss once and piss hard. And then you just don't stop for five or six hours, right? And the fuel gauge goes like that and then you've got to stop and refuel, repeat. And that's why visiting the Outback is so much fun. Anywho, it's a red flag for me. These vehicles are so different when you drill down into the gearing. And I know that was part of Dave's hypothesis and he's absolutely on the money, right? Just look at it. The Troopy's a five-speed manual. The Prado's a six-speed automatic. And when you look at top gear, the most overdriven gear, 0.75 to 1 for the Troopy and 0.58 to 1 for the Prado. There's a big red flag right there for RPM dropage at high speed, isn't it? Particularly as the final drive ratio of the two are identical, right? 3.91 to 1 for both of them. The tyre and wheel package, very different, right? The Troopy's running on 16s, the Prado's running on 17s, and so much more sidewall with the Troopy, which you would absolutely expect, because designed to be an off-roader, the higher the sidewall, the more the growth in length as you reduce the pressure for off-roading, okay? And this puts more of the tread face in contact with more of the ground, reducing the bearing pressure when you're on a soft surface like snow or mud or sand things of that nature, and also just putting more of the tread in contact with sort of rough surfaces, you know, so the tread's more malleable, it tends to wrap around things it's trying to get over. With more of the tread in contact, you get more tractive effort to the ground because the tread tends to interlock more when it's more pliable, right? That makes sense. So very different on the wheel and tyre packages and also very different on the circumference, which is kind of critical to the overall gearing.
You can see that the Troopy has a much greater circumference, which would tend to make the wheels rotate slower at any particular speed, right? Because they're just travelling further because of the greater circumference. And this matters at 100 k's an hour, okay, which is like punching that vehicle through the scenery at almost 28 metres a second, right? That's incredible in the context of human history that we can travel that fast and think nothing of it. I, I'm always amazed by that, you know, because you don't have to go back that far, like 150 years or something, and travelling at this kind of speed 150 years ago, unthinkable. You'd have to jump off a cliff to do that, and that never ends well. So anyway... When you are travelling at this incredible speed, then the wheel RPMs are much different, much slower for the Troopy, much faster for the Prado. And the tail shaft, same thing, because same gearing, right? Proportionally identical reduction in tail shaft speed with the Troopy, 2,500 revs versus about 2,900 for the Prado. And that makes a big difference to engine RPM. So if you're both in fifth gear, right, not too dissimilar. There's about 100 RPM in it. But if you're both in top gear, because Prado's got a sixth and Troopy doesn't, then about 1,700 RPM versus about 1,900 RPM, okay? And that's a huge difference when you think about five or six hours of sustained operation in conditions such as those, all right? It's 11.5% difference. So you can be in the Troopy doing 100 k's an hour and your engine is rotating 11.5% faster for the next four, five, six hours, whatever it is, until you stop for fuel. And I'd suggest that this is one part of the jigsaw puzzle about the Troopy's greater thirst for fuel. Engines all bleed. They bleed energy like a stuck pig. And when you forget about the heat that's going out of the exhaust pipe and coming out of the radiator and bleeding out of the block, the main way that engines bleed energy is through friction and parasitic losses. So let's do them in order. Friction is all about the rings and their interaction with the bore. It's technically not all about that, but it's mainly about that. So just look at the difference between the Troopy and the Prado in the context of their total bore area. 207,000 square millimetres versus 120,000. And this is obviously because although the Troopy's got slightly smaller cylinders, it's got eight of them and it makes a huge difference. So you'd have to say, with all other things being equal, there's about 70% greater bore friction in the Troopy. And this is every time that engine is turning and burning for hours endlessly down the highway at 100 k's an hour, 70% more friction. And this is one of the principal problems with Toyota's strategy of using this antiquated engine with grossly more capacity than it actually needs to get the job done. And it's almost impossible to solve this problem without just biting the bullet and saying, hey, you know what? A Troopy would go better with a Prado engine inside it. And of course, what that would mean is they just wouldn't sell as many troopies because that'd be like a girl's troopie. And a man doesn't want a girl's troopie. Not that there's anything wrong with the concept of girl's troopie, okay? The other thing, I guess, to consider are parasitic losses, which are things like driving the oil pump and driving the water pump. And you need a bigger oil pump for the troopie, right? Because you've got to get oil into more places upstairs. You need a bigger water pump because you've got to force water through two heads, not just one. And 
you need to drive four camshafts in the Troopy because it's a quad cam V8 versus just two camshafts in the Prado. And you need to drive 32 valves. And that means you need to actuate 32 valve springs against their stops just to open the valves every time you get one revolution of a camshaft, yeah? And this is a big problem because 32 uh, cam lobes here, 32 springs you have to work against with the Troopy versus 16 with the Prado. So there's that. And all of these things. The other thing, of course, is that when you get a big engine and you don't work it very efficiently, it's incurring a great many pumping losses because it's not really efficient, good design, whatever you want to call it, it's not smart to use an engine that's too big for the job at hand, which is exactly what Toyota is doing with the Troopy. And they're just banking on customers being too dumb to know that, or just to suck it up and say, I want my V8, mate. You know that old adage about never send a boy to do a man's job? Well, that's bullshit in the engine design domain, all right? Because never send a big, fat engine to do a smaller, leaner engine's job. That's the central overarching thesis here, all right? When you look at all of these engines, they're all kind of similar in the output domain, kind of similar, okay? The Troopy with its 4.5-litre V8, the Prado with its 2.8-litre inline 4, even though the Prado is actually going to accelerate better in the mid-range because it makes about 15% more power in that 1,600 to 2,800 RPM ballpark, they're still kind of similar, right? But you get better fuel economy out of the Prado. And when you add a couple of other interesting engines into the mix, you look at Hyundai Kia's 2.2 inline four and the 2.2 inline four from Mazda as well, which are neck and neck. They're a photo finish in that 140 to 150 kilowatt peak power domain and 440 to 450 Newton meters for the peak torque. It's not a coincidence that these engines are all similar in the output domain, like Prado and Hyundai, Kia and Mazda. It's because they're the right size for that job. And when car makers go down the track of which engine we're going to use, they start with the vehicle they're designing. They go, well, how heavy is it and what performance do we need to give it? And therefore, what engine do we need to produce to deliver that performance? right? The outputs here equals the performance here. What outputs, what size, what's going to be the most efficient, what's going to give us the best fuel economy. And I'd suggest that three times out of four here, these dudes all got it right. Because these three engines, these four cylinders, they're doing a V8's job, notionally, or at least the V8 is not punching its own, uh, with its own weight, is it, you know? And the reason it's not is clearly because this is just the cheap, nasty version in the Troopy of the twin-turbo version in the Land Cruiser 200, because you've got twin turbos down here and only one turbo up here, and it makes a massive difference to performance. So... What you've got with the twin-turbo V8 in the 200 series is you've got 33% more peak power and you've got 51% more peak torque and you even get slightly better fuel economy despite the fact that a Land Cruiser 200 weighs about 500 kilos more than the Troopy. Like, come on. Here's your evidence, okay? The engine in the Troopy is massively underdone. The penalty you pay is the fuel efficiency and... 
it's right when you put another turbo in it in a Land Cruiser 200 because then all of a sudden you do milk all of that capacity for all it's worth and all it's worth is 33% more power and 50% more torque. And here's that other question from Dave. If they were the same weight and had the same coefficient of drag, would they accelerate and overtake the same and have the same fuel usage even though one is a V8 and one is an inline four? Thankfully, this one is slightly easier to deal with, but it too is a trick question in two parts. Dave's basically saying if we keep everything the same, should the overtaking performance not be the same and should the fuel consumption therefore not be the same as well? And let's deal with them separately because we need a bit more physics for overtaking. Newton's second law, okay, says that the total force, like the net force acting on something, equals mass times acceleration. Big, heavy things don't accelerate as fast as light things when whatever force acts upon them, if you keep the force the same. So obviously, the force, the concept of net force is pretty easy to figure out. You've got your four-wheel drive doing 100 k's an hour down the road here, and you've got tractive effort, and you've got aerodynamic drag, and you've got rolling resistance and opposing forces. The net force is the total tractive effort minus the aerodynamic drag and the rolling resistance, right? It's the amount of thrust. And obviously when this plus this equals that, then you're traveling at a constant speed. And some of you may be saying, well, what about friction? You just bullshat on, if that's a verb, you just bullshat on for hours and hours endlessly about friction, and yet you have not included it. And that's because friction is this stuff that gets burnt before you get to tractive effort. So this is energy that's being bled off internally. I'm talking about tractive effort at the wheels, the force that the wheels are exerting on the road. And obviously, when you want to overtake, you put your foot down, the engine revs up and does whatever else, more fuel goes into it, and you get the maximum tractive effort, and you will start to accelerate at whatever rate. But there's a few problems with that, okay? And we need to then think about the power at the wheels because you've got power up the pointy end at the crankshaft and it goes through the transmission where you lose about 15% and you get power at the wheels. The tractive effort is where the rubber meets the road and a forward force is applied to the vehicle, okay? But the shaft that the axle is turning the wheel on is a delivery system for power. And wheel power, the way to remember this, power equals mad over time, right? Mass times acceleration times distance on time. And you can muck around with that a bit algebraically. Distance on times velocity. So it's mass times acceleration times velocity. And then you can just rearrange them and you get the acceleration of the car is the power of the wheel shaft divided by the mass of the car, which never changes, and the velocity you're traveling at. So obviously you will have more acceleration at whatever power the wheels are delivering. Maximum power, let's say. If you can deliver maximum power at 50 k's an hour, you will have twice as much acceleration compared to delivering maximum power at 100 because the acceleration of your vehicle is going to depend on the speed you are traveling at. And that's a matter of common experience, but you might not have programmed that in yet, okay? 
obviously you accelerate fast off the mark and you accelerate less when you get to cruising speed and you accelerate less and less and less and less until ultimately you're not accelerating anymore at all, okay? And that's only in part because aerodynamic drag increases. The rate of acceleration is intrinsically linked to your velocity. So there's a bit of physics for that. But the car doesn't care what the engine is. It doesn't care if it's a V8. It doesn't care how efficiently it's designed. It doesn't give a shit about any of that stuff. Acceleration is, de is basically defined by speed and power. That's what's going to make your car go. Okay, if you've got to get around a truck or any of that stuff, it doesn't matter if it's a V8 or a 4 or whatever, it just matters how much power is available and what speed you're already travelling at. That's going to define your acceleration for overtaking performance. As to the fuel consumption though, everything else being the same, fuel consumption is not going to be the same because fuel consumption is fundamentally linked to the internal thermodynamic efficiency of the design of the engine. And here, the Troopy is the biggest loser, okay? Literally, it's the biggest loser. The Prado is just so much more thermodynamically efficient, like thermally efficient. The engine's just doing a more efficient job with its smaller capacity. And although the performance of the two platforms is going to be the same for overtaking, what's going to change is how much you have to pay at the Bowser.